Well, welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, I had a nightmare last night. And I don't know what it is when I have nightmares, but they have no correlation. They make no sense. Like, I'm sitting there. Like, some people have a nightmare where, like, they're falling off a bridge. For me, because, you know, I'm almost done that cookbook I'm writing. And I'm writing a, a, a new book called Cassette of the Day about cassette songs and how they influenced my life. But so I, I'm, all this stuff's in my mind. And plus, Joanne's mom just got in. She's staying with us. So I'm a little off kiltered. And I have this dream that I lost all my notes and I'm sitting there walking around and there's all these people I haven't seen for years and they're trying to help me find these notes. And then I can't find my computer and I'm freaking out and then I finally find my notes and I'm all happy. But then this old lady who could be passed like one of my mom's friends, but not as old because my mom's in her 80s. This is like 60s or whatever. She comes in and says, oh, we looked where the snakes were. And I have no idea what that means. So I go in the backyard, and all of a sudden, I have a snake around my leg, which makes no sense. And I woke up. You know how you, like, you get that jar when you wake up? I jarred, and I woke up, and it made no sense. And I just I don't know why. So uh, dreams, that's like me if I had a dream if I was sitting like in a restaurant eating a nice meal and a safe landed on my head. Anyway, enough about me. We have a great guest today. We yeah, this this guy. I, I I'm a I'm a big fan, and not only because one of their songs uh, is one of my top ten ever, but also he's from New Jersey, and you know me, people. When it's Jersey people, I love talking. We have uh, John Easton. How you doing, John? Good day to you, sir. How are you? Good. I'm glad you made. It. You know, I got to tell you a quick story. I mean, I I told you I saw you at the Anaheim concert years ago. Uh, I was living in Vegas with my crazy ex-wife, and you played an acoustic. Christmas at the Aladdin Theater, and it was you, uh, Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes, uh-huh. Dada, Sponge, They Might Be Giants, and the Cramps. And the Cramps played, of course, an electric set because they can't play acoustic. No. But I remember that. And that song, Anything Anything, reminded me of my ex-wife because she was freaking crazy. So it's just weird how it comes full circle. That's a weird... That, that You know what? If you had asked me right now, hey, who all played on that uh, show? I, I could not have... Listed them all. I have an idiot savant memory like that. Amazing. I can't. That's that's tremendous. I can't remember last week, but I can remember that. I met Linda Perry. That's the only person I could have told you for sure that I. You know who else was playing that night? You know. Yeah. I might have picked like three names out of of that hat, but that's that's incredible. So you're a Jersey guy. You're from Wayne, Uh and now when you grew up as a kid, I always because musicians. It's not like uh, actors and writers, we can start later in life. It's pretty much, musicians seem like they have to start at a younger age to actually get talent to sing. Did, did you did you love music as a kid, or what, what happened to you? Yeah, yeah, when I was very, very little, I think, you know, probably uh, church or something, uh, groups of people singing all together at once, and, uh, and uh, then the Beatles and, the, well, really the Monkees, that is the first thing I remember. Uh, that, that probably hit around the same time as like the Beatle cartoons, um, and that you know, along with the fact of whatever it, the faddishness of of, uh, of rock and roll bands and uh, groups, whatever of that of that time of the '60s. I, I was like five years old when I decided on that as being a cool thing to do. And as you do as you grow up, you don't expect to really you know. Just like you don't expect to be the quarterback for the, the football team, you don't expect to be the the, the singer in the rock band forever. It's just something you do because you like to do it, you know. And that and that was my whole pursuit of of music was. I worked at a record store and I was in a band and 
and that, you know, it was, it was, it was my whole, and it still is my whole life. Well, I, I think it's so funny because music does play such a big part with us. And now, but did you start playing an instrument? I mean, you loved it when you were a young kid. Did you start playing? What was the first instrument? The guitar did you pick up, or how old were you when you picked it up? Drums. Is like I was like eight or nine years old till I was like thirteen or fourteen. I played the drums, and. Uh, I don't know. I just just was a drummer and played along to records, and I, I was never in like I was never a drummer in a band. Uh, unfortunately, I never found a band to be a drummer in. Drummers blow my mind because it's like my brother was a drummer, and I have a few friends who are drummers, and it's 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 just crazy because they're not crazy, but it's just they they always you can pick it up like guitar. Guitar seems really hard, and drums, we don't think how hard they are, because people just think it's banging on stuff. But, mm -hmm. like, my brother had a drum set, and I sit down and try to play, and I was like a doofus, because I was like, you know, you have the hi-hat, and you have the bass drum. And now, I mean, did you pick it up easily? I mean, did you, did you, I think, because I think music is in someone's body, I think. I'm not the most coordinated person in the world, but I did play drums okay, uh, you know, well enough to play drums. Uh, I was in the jazz band in my junior high school, so you know you can imagine the level of proficiency that you have when you're in seventh grade. But um, but that was like you know that was kind of drums I tried to play, and like I even listened to some prog rock. I I, I have to admit, like Emerson, like and Palmer. Or, Everyone brain salad surgery. That's oh, my brother man, had that album. It <laughs> <laughs> was pre-rush, you know. Before now, all guys want to be Neil Peart. Exactly. <laughs> I would pl play along to Carl Palmer, and uh, I, I would hate to hear a tape of it now. But, um, and then uh, about uh, you know, I just it was just a normal thing, you know. It was it wasn't anything I ever expected to do for a living, and, and not something I, I really you know it was just something I enjoyed. And then as I got older and, and started hanging out with the wrong undesirable kind of people who smoked weed and uh, drank beer, even though we were all. 15 or so you know it's funny and I, everyone drank beer and smoked weed in New Jersey when they were 15 or 16 I, it, and no one ever got in trouble I always know like no one ever got DUIs I mean when we were younger we would drink and we'd go to the golf course and drink and when you yeah go, or the and, baseball yeah. park or whatever it was in your in your neck of the woods right. down by the river right. or over by the lake you know there were places there were woods and and yeah and it wasn't I mean I I hate to say it was innocent but it wasn't like you know wasn't like hardcore narcotic use at right. least, and that, and I think that's probably like kind of jaded me. You know, I was kind of cynical about all the other bad narcotics that came along later. I was like, oh, there, it's, it's all all that propaganda is a a bunch of right. malarkey. <laughs> so I, I I missed some of those uh, twists and turns. So when did you put your first band together? When you started playing, you're working in a record store. Which uh, was it in Wayne? Was the record store in Wayne? Yeah, yeah, and and and. I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. I didn't really know how to play guitar, but I started teaching myself how to play guitar in, 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 in secret. And uh, I worked at this record store called Looney Tunes, which was owned by two of my best friends, Chris Carter and, and Tom Mullaney. Uh, Chris is now the, the host of the Breakfast with the Beatles, and he produced a movie about Rodney Bingenheimer right. called uh, King... Uh, Mayor of Sunset, Mayor of the Sunset Strip. Strip, right. And he was... Uh, he had been a bass player in, in high school, but he, he kind of quit playing bass. And I, I uh, persuaded him to get a bass. Okay. And, and, um, and I had a guitar player friend uh, named Mark who lived two doors down from me uh, in Wayne. And he, we'd known each other since we were, you know, four or five years old. And the three of us went in the basement and started recording uh, four-track tapes. That was the only band I was, I you know... I was very briefly in a couple of cover bands as a singer, you know, and I sang everything from uh, Ted Nugent to uh, 
just sticks to whatever was else was popular in 1978, 1979, for a very, very short time, and I'm not proud of it, but those songs come on the radio and I still know the words. Hey, you know, I, I went to see Dennis DeYoung at the El Rey a few weeks ago. Oh, look in. And it was it was a thing. I was just looking through the El Rey sites. My buddy said, we got to go to this one concert of a band I never heard of. And I said, there was $5 tickets. And of course, the service charge twelve fifty. I said to my girlfriend, you want to go? And if, any, if you're over 45, you had Grand Illusion or Pieces of Eight or one of your friends had it. You all knew those albums. And I'll tell you, that guy's 67 now, I think, or 64. Five, and still puts on a show, and every you knew every song. That's what's great. Like you go to a concert, and you knew every damn song. You didn't like all of them, but you knew every song, and it was great. I, I, that's you know, we could we could talk the rest of this hour and just focus in on the whole story of Sticks and Dennis DeYoung and why Dennis DeYoung isn't singing for Sticks, but why Sticks every night goes out and plays Dennis DeYoung songs, right? <laughs> with somebody else who tries to sound like Dennis DeYoung. I know, and the funny thing is because his guitarist looked just like Tommy Shaw, had the blonde hair, looked exactly like him. Because I even said to my girlfriend, I said. God, that looks like Tommy Shaw. That's that's a story that needs to be told. The brothers, the bass player, the drummer, and uh, and Tommy Shaw coming in because he wasn't there for the first four or five albums right. or something. But I saw him open it for a band called Bebop Deluxe in '77 or '78, and I was I was I mean I I was kind of after the prog rock thing and, and you know the Beatles and and everything that came then, kind of shifting towards. I don't know what, but then punk rock came out, and and and, and uh, at the same time, I was I was kind of like a couple of years late on Bowie and and Mott the Hoople or whatever, but that was the kind of music that I enjoyed. And my friends, Chris and Tommy, opened this record store in Wayne, and they had this you know very similar tastes in in music, and uh, they it was it was a cool record store. They had like the Ramones come down, the Plasmatics came okay. down, uh, Ian Hunter McRonson came down. Uh, it was the the retail uh, headquarters for the Uncle Floyd TV show. Right, I remember Uncle Floyd and uh, <laughs> Oogie. Oogie was still immortal. My, my father used to always watch that, and he'd be like, Steven, Steven, this is before I started doing stand-up. And my dad was just enthralled, and I was like, because cable was just in South Jersey, and Uncle Floyd was known in North Jersey, but it was like, and my dad, but my dad would always say, yeah, I know he looks stupid, but man, can he play piano? He'd always say, can he play piano? Uncle Floyd Vivano, I believe his name Vivino. Vivino. Uh, uh, yep, and his brother, I think, is in... Uh, He's in the Conan O'Brien band. He run, he's Jimmy Vivian. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I didn't. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, so you're sitting there. You're working in a rock store. You guys start recording. Now, what did you find? How did you decide what kind of music you were going to play? Is it because you said it seems like you all had a lot of influences? And at that time, there was a lot of influences. You could turn on the radio and you could hear Yes, and then you could hear Joe Jackson. You could hear all different kind of music. I mean, what? How did you guys decide your music? And you were in that beginning of that. That great, which I say, that great sound, which was like the took over the '80s. I mean, in college, we went nuts with it. The store opened in '79, and, and I pretty much like lived there for for the next three years. Um, it coincided with, at the same time as we were importing picture sleeve 45s by the Pretenders or the Clash or, or whoever had new records. There was a new resurgence of American independent bands doing 45s. Um, the knack had just hit, and okay. uh, it, was, it was right there on the cusp of 1980. And um, I don't know. We thought we could just, you know, make a record, and uh, you know, I, I guess it was, it was kind of like the resurgence of, of power pop, but trying to be. And then we just kept getting a little darker and darker, but still have that, you know, try to do our own thing instead of 
you know, imitate anybody necessarily. When you were recording, did you also start playing live then? As a matter of fact, no. We, 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 we I mean, we slowly did. We, we filled in things. I was playing drums and, and singing. Mark was playing guitar. Chris was playing bass. We, we, when, when it came time for us to be, we were on an Uncle Floyd show. We, we, we played to our record. We, okay. we, we lip synced. Um, <laughs> Uncle Floyd. This and, is giving me a blast, man. And then we, uh, we started filling in, 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 the, in the slots. I couldn't sing and play drums, so we got a drummer. And uh, a good friend of mine who we graduated high school with, Peter Wood, um, he joined the band as, as a second guitar player. And uh, we, we, we just... We just followed that that path of make, putting out a 45 and then put out a 12-inch and then we got a label in France. And, yeah, and how did that come out? Because I was reading on your bio, and, and actually, and I always worry about this because I read Wikipedia because I do my research different ways and I found out Wikipedia is like 80% right half the time. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to ask you, how did you end up, because it's, it's like you're, you're, you're like the Jerry Lewis of music. You were big in France. I mean, how did they find you in France and like how did it become a DJ uh, we, we we were reviewed in uh, our first single was reviewed in the trouser press, and uh, they 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 talked about our version of Velvet Underground's Femme Fatale or whatever, which we did like I said in '82. So it was before the the big Andy. Andy was still alive, so okay. so it didn't it didn't start becoming you know really hip. We were just I don't know. I don't know why we did Velvet. Oh, I do know why we did a Velvet song. The same reason why we always like threw in a cover because we wanted people like who liked Lou Reed or who liked Velvet Underground to say, "Oh, let's see if we like you know maybe we knew everybody who did a Bowie song. We knew everybody who okay. did you know we were that kind of. So you're trying to you're trying you're trying to get people to say, "Okay, wow, well, they have the balls to do a Lou Reed, so we they got to have good music." Uh, yeah, I don't know if we were thinking of it like that, but just like you know. We we were that kind of you know encyclopedic guys that would like know about Bauhaus. That's how I discovered Bauhaus because okay. they did Ziggy Stardust, um, and then you know, oh Bauhaus, that's a good band. You know, I don't know. Just try to affiliate yourself with someone, and you don't have to even have any. You know, you don't even have to ask permission. You just do other people's songs. Right. <laughs> Our first album we did a Bowie song, and and, and then the second album we did a Patti Smith song. We were you know we did a New York Dolls song and. And other stuff. Um, the French label read about us in Trouser Press. Uh, DJ over there played the record over there, and then this label uh, offered to put out a full twelve-inch. Before that, we had—I mean, a full full-length album. Before that, we'd only put out um, a seven-inch and a five-song EP. Okay. Or and then the, that came out in France in November of 1985. Uh, and then Rodney Bingenheimer here in, in, in Hollywood, right right around here, this building. You know what's funny about Rodney is, and, and for people who don't know, Rodney Bingenheimer is this legendary you know, uh, radio host, and, and I didn't really know about him because I, when I moved out here, but a little known fact I didn't know, I, a few weeks ago I had Shadow Stevens on the show, mm-hmm. and Shadow Stevens was the, uh, oh, that's great, he's drinking Tab. I don't drink caffeine anymore. I love Tab. I love Tab and Fresca. I, I can't, yeah, I, I can't it's have like going, It's like going, to, I always say it's like going in grandma's kitchen. <laughs> it's great. But no, I didn't know Rodney, uh, uh, Shadow Stevens was a program director mm-hmm. that, that brought Rodney on. And Rodney brought a lot of this, what we, we called back then, new wave or alternative, different thing. He brought all that to LA. So he was on the forefront. So he heard you guys and started being a big fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, and, uh, from there, I guess it, it became a hit on that radio station, uh, KRQ, and uh, um, it's they still play it. But uh, we came out for a vacation just to, you know, 
we heard they were playing us on the radio, and we knew who Rodney was because we read all the magazines and you know. But but it, but it's very much a regional thing. So we were number one on a radio station in Los Angeles, and it kind of spread out to the, the other few modern rock radio stations that existed in in 1986 or 1987, and uh, uh, this was all pre Nirvana and right. and the the alternative uh, explosion of the 90s. So it was a song, anything, anything that they mm-hmm. now, now who wrote that? Me. And now, well, is that about an X or, I mean, cause it's, yeah. cause it, a lot of people listen to that song. Will you play that acoustically? I could. If you don't want to, it's fine. No, I got the guitar right here. Cause I saw you about the guitar. I, that's one of my favorite songs. And this would be an honor to hear this in the studio. Ooh, if you can figure it out. If you can't, don't worry no, about no, it. No, 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 I can't, I can't. It's, uh, it's a true story about, uh, me and my, my first wife who, uh, um, we 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 were smart, and I tell the story all the time. I was really smart. We uh, we got married, and we lived in a house, uh, actually in an apartment, a one room apartment, about the size of this radio station studio here, uh, for me and her. And then just down the hall and up the stairs was uh, the rest of the band. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> lived in another two bedroom, so it was definitely a honeymoon palace for for her and. Uh, needless to say, didn't, didn't was that lie. in L.A.? Was that in L.A.? No, no, was no. It Jersey? We were still in Jersey. Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, the record came out before. Um, the first album was out, and uh, for almost a year before Rodney, Rodney picked it up as a French uh, import at, okay. at a record store in Pasadena, and uh, started. It, it took almost a year before. Wow. Um, yeah, by the, by the time Rodney was playing it, uh, we were, I was out of that. We were out all out of that building, and and I was back home with my mom, and and, and things were bad. And then like uh, we were no longer mad. The, the wedding the, the the wedding was over. The marriage was was ended. Um, if not officially, then um, for all intents and purposes, okay. until it was on paper. Then, but. Uh, so yeah, no. This is the. This is just basically the true story of of what happened. Uh... Okay, what is it tonight? Please just tell me what the hell is wrong Do you want to eat? Do you want to sleep? Do you want to drown? Just settle down, settle down, settle down I'll give you candy, give you diamonds Give you pills, give you anything you want hundred dollar bills I even let you watch the shows you want to see just marry me marry me marry me I'm so sick of you tonight You never stay awake when I get home Something wrong with me Or something wrong with you I really wish I knew Wish I knew Wish I knew I'll give you candy 
give you diamonds, give you pills, give you anything you want. Hundred dollar bills. I'll even let you watch the shows you wanna see because you married me, married me, married me. Married me, married me, married me. That's awesome, man. I, I, you don't, I love that song. That's just so cool. I love acoustic versions. Now, when you wrote that, did you guys think it was going to become this giant, giant? Because when you write a song, do you ever get a feeling you go, okay, this song is going to be good? Or do you think this song's going to be good, then, it is, then people don't like it? Or, I mean, how does that work? No, 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 no. As I was saying before, this was something we did, you know, as a hobby, as labor of love. It was something we did. I think we were, we, no one was more surprised than we were when, when we got a record deal in France or whatever. And then to find out that Rodney Bingenheimer was playing us on the radio and that, you know, it had gone out, you know, broken out from Rodney's show to the rest of the station. They're playing it all day long, every day, you know, every hour or two. We came out, got off the plane, was sitting on the beach and, you know, <laughs> hearing our song on that the radio. That must be crazy. It was very much that <laughs> thing you do movie. You yeah, know, you're or, probably like, wait a second, wait, 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 that's me. I, 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 that's me. Nah, too, we, we they, they, you know, the record store, because we were so cool and we thought, you know, we didn't sell Kenny Rogers. Were you, were you, we didn't you, sell Kenny Rogers. Were you hipsters? Were you hipsters before there was hipsters? Well, it was what hipsters, you know, the, 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 the late '70s, early '80s version. Yeah, no, we wouldn't sell Kenny Rogers' greatest hits. We wouldn't sell Michael Jackson off the wall. We would. You want the the newest import forty-five from Sandinista? You know, you, we got that. But but we don't know. We don't have. We, I mean, a hundred guys must have walked in for Kenny Rogers' greatest hits every Christmas. You know, and and I don't know, if, but retail isn't a big markup thing so right. we were stupid we weren't good businessmen we had cool we had the Ramones like I said everybody came down to sign autographs in those days we'd, have, we'd do great business but the rest of the week we were sitting around you know 
right. doing our thing, you know, yeah. trying to be cool. Um, I don't know. It, so you, it's, it's weird. You don't you don't think about it when you're little, what, what you're going to be like when, when you get older. Right. So when you come out here and they're playing it, so then when do you decide to move out to L.A.? Because you probably figured, we, now, well, you, when you, you weren't playing really live gigs yet then, which is weird because back there, there were so many places to play in New Jersey. We had played a few shows and we'd had gone through a few drummers and but I, I mean a handful of shows really not 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 many at all and uh we came out as the you know we were getting calls from record companies and everybody you know they heard us on the radio all the time they're like we're one you know we were getting calls from record companies but we came out and we sold out the roxy and and i think we we stung up the joint to be quite honest, to be quite honest we weren't a, a good live act and uh, it took us a number of years to get to get good. Now, when you moved to LA, mm-hmm. where was the first place you guys moved? Uh, we lived at the uh, right around the corner here from here uh, at the uh, the fabulous um, Oakwood Estates. So many people move out there, and it's they say it's so such a giant giant place. Yeah, I don't know what it's like now. I mean, I, I haven't been there in thirty years now. What was it like moving from New Jersey, though? Because New Jersey, we have the seasons, you know, and out here, it, you'd have no more seasons. No, no, yeah. It, if you if you listen to the music that we we started putting, I mean, when I first came out, I was in, I was I was stunned and shocked and in awe, and it looked like we were, you know, we were the Cinderella story, overnight success, whatever, and 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 even without anybody making it happen, you know, it wasn't on the, on the strength of of anything except for the song. Um, Within a year, we had been, you know, turned down by every record company except one who gave us a little bit of money to go in the studio, and then they wanted to keep, you know, they wanted to keep giving us, you know, we got like a demo deal. Okay. And uh, and at the same time, we're still playing shows because we don't know how how stinky we are in concert. We're getting better, but we're still, uh, you know, backyard band from New Jersey uh, playing and getting paid to do real good money and, and, and selling out all over Southern California. And what is that like? I mean, because you guys were younger, and all of a sudden you sit there, and, you know, it's money that, you know, as you said, you guys weren't good businessmen, so you're sitting at the record store. You're not, I'm sure you guys weren't pulling down some big change, and all of a sudden you're starting to make a lot of cash, and you're getting recognized. That's, I mean, does your life change? Because you are rock stars. Yeah, you know, we never made a lot of cash. We, we, we all just kind of, like, barely you know scraped by as, as, as even at our height i don't think we ever were, were you know the one year when i you know eh, we don't have to talk about money um but it's not a it's, it's never been a thing where we were like you know buying houses and cars and, and 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 doing great like that but at the same time we were like i said we were playing concerts and and doing it and and just living the life and living the dream and and uh spending all the money that whatever little money that we did have was getting spent right away anyway now when did you start feeling that you know because you said in the beginning you guys stunk up the place when, when did you start feeling you you got your groove live because you guys are playing together now and it's like anything i think with, like with comedy you know i'll see comics who haven't done comedy for a while and they they do get a lot of stage time and they get stronger when did did you feel you guys were getting in a groove ever or you know um I don't think I knew when we got good. By the end, uh, we, we 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 got we definitely got better. We became more of a, 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 of, a of a good band. But um, in, in the early '90s, I think 
we were I don't know we just never were, were, were we never we never delivered on the promise of, 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 of our records you know and uh, we even got this this drummer who was probably the greatest drummer of all time or in my in my opinion one of the greatest rock drummers ever Clem Burke he's in the um, Blondie okay and he's in a lot you know he's been in a lot, he played with Eurythmics and he, he played with Bob Dylan and Pete Townsend and he's just one of the greatest drummers if you ever see him one time you'll, you'll, you'll never forget him he's like Keith Moon uh, and he was our drummer on his drummer for the last few years of our of our first go round from like I want to say ninety one to ninety four, and at that time we were playing festivals and playing with all these other bands and I guess at that point we were good but even still I don't I listen to it and I'm like I don't know I I I, I never realized. There, there was a point after the band broke up when I realized that what we were doing wasn't what I thought we were doing, you know? I thought I was an artist. Okay. I thought I was, you know, uh, you know, infallible. Whatever I chose to do was the way it was supposed to be because I was the creator and, you know, I had that whole Jim Morrison uh, thing going on in my head. I didn't, understand that I was an entertainer people were spending money and paying money out of their own pockets to come see us play or or to, to buy our records you know and it wasn't till I was away from it for a little while and, and that I realized that you know I had a responsibility to an audience and, and that I had to go do my my best when I play as opposed to just whatever I felt like so there was, I, I, I wish I had the money to give back to the people who I had to sit through me being drunk on stage you know See, I, that's 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 tell you, you would sit there. I mean, you would get drunk before we went on stage. Oh yeah. See, I when I did stand up, I could never get drunk before I got on stage because I would forget stuff. How do you? I mean, we get drunk. How do you? Rem- I mean, could you sing the song so much you remember, it, or do you no, go into a gear? No, I was fifteen. Like I said, you know, drinking, drinking, and, and smoking weed, and that's what I did, you know, nonstop from that age until you know thirty-five or something, you know, and with other things added over <laughs> as the years went by, you know. Um, uh, various terrible, horrible substances that I abused, you know, and to the point where at one point, you know, uh, again, not not a proud thing, but uh, I, I needed to seek treatment and, uh, you know, cocaine in all of its forms, uh, you know, slowly brought me down. I, I guess there's a point where you think you're you're maintaining and you're doing well, and I kind of separated my, my home life and my uh, rock star life, and then when I started bringing... The rock star home, I, 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 I saw treatment. Okay, so you guys are playing now. Now, when, what, why did you guys break up? Was there a certain like? Because I mean, like Gilby Clark was on with Guns N' Roses. He said he just knew like when they were going to break up. Like it was a thing where I mean, he was like, and he he said, just you could tell like guys just weren't talking to each other. You know, it's like you go on the road and you know there's Axel's camp and there's slashes. You know, just not talking. Mm-hmm. Did you? And how long? How long were you guys together when you broke up? Uh, the first time it was probably about 12, 13 years. He said, now you, I guess, I'm guessing because you guys really have like a bond because you're, you're friends. I mean, you we know. all went to the same high school. We all grew up in the same town. And now, we did all you go to William Patterson? Together. I did for about 
you know, I, if I have any credits at all, okay, no, because it's a miracle. It's, I, doubt, I doubt I finished a semester. Wikipedia listing <laughs> says you went to William Patterson University. I was like, hey, you graduated William Patterson. I didn't cool. graduate. <laughs> no way. I, I, I majored in the pub. Okay. <laughs> um, and but I met a lot of cool people, and and I, I think that kind of pushed forward my 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 world vision or view. I, it was you know, it was a pretty cool scene in 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 northern New Jersey that was taking place like right there in Passaic County I thought you know not not that we were a part of it or even the best of it right but I definitely saw what was possible as opposed to just being in a cover band or, or just being you know you know I don't know it helped, it helped. so you guys long so you, you're after 12 years you break up what happened I mean do you guys just sit there and decide we're getting each other's nerves because that is a long time though too you know not to get into too deep into the to the major label thing on our third album a company bought our contract and uh, started putting our records out, and then they were acquired by another entity that's that was eventually owned by Warner Music and and, and Elektra Records, and and big money got involved, which was nice because then we could spend big money on our record. Um, you know, we finally had a record deal with a major label, and we were spending as you know, you know six figures on an album was you know. That's a lot of money, and it was more than we'd spent on our entire careers up to that point. Um, and we probably still owe half a million dollars to Warner Music on the books because we never reached that plateau of selling millions of records. Um, by that time, we were on our fourth or fifth record. You know, we had been slowly growing and growing, and and uh, when Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and the alternative rec music scene did blow up, a lot of the bands from before then were left in the in the dust and we were one of those and uh also we argued incessantly with our our label uh people because by this time we were on our fourth or fifth record and we knew everything there was to know about the music business and uh we didn't need nobody telling us what to do <laughs> so so is it hard to break up is it like a break up with a relationship or is it just you sit there and go hey guys you know no, it was it was it was a constant like you know eh, I, I think you know I, I wrote I, I mean if you listen to the music there's, I wrote songs about it you know you keep loading the gun and uh, you keep you keep doing things and, and and you think you're doing great things and, and the world goes eh. you know you don't you don't get the you don't keep getting the love that you got when you when you were new and, and fresh and that's what showbiz is like and, oh, you yeah. know, and that's what music business is like and I think we were convinced that it was a terrible tragedy and, and, and you know took it very personally and, and, and you know the world was being unjust and in the 10 years after the band broke up it's just i i worked behind the scenes in the music business and i saw that that was just you know that's what happens to bands they don't they don't last you know they're, 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 that you know the beatles not every band could be the beatles right not every band could be the stones not even i don't know it, it, it's it, it's weird at one point it's just happening and you have nothing to do with it and all it is is you're writing songs and you think, I, I must be, you know, really uh, talented. Now, <laughs> what were you doing behind the scenes? After after the band broke yeah. up? Um, to get back to your question, while we broke up, we had been together for 12 years and we were not succeeding and uh, the record company wasn't going to pay for any more records and we were all, I was, I was uh, you know, trying to stay out of trouble and... Uh, uh, my uh, the other guys were all doing different things, and, and we just kind of like eh. we we weren't gonna break up like officially, like uh, you know, mention that we broke up. I don't think anybody 
we just stopped doing shows and making records for a few years. And then I made a solo record, which gave me the opportunity to do my own thing, like play all the instruments myself, but that was five years later. Was that hard for you to do? Because, I mean, you're playing all the instruments. I mean, that's like, that always blows my mind, because, you know, you said, you said you were an okay drummer, but then now you play guitar, and then it's like, it always amazes me that someone, and this is one thing about musicians, why I have such an envy for them, is that you guys can sit there and go, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play this, and, and you sit there, and you play all the instruments, and you put it all together, and it sounds like a freaking... Band. Great. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, I don't know if that, you know, I'm definitely not the best musician on of any of the instruments that I play. That's why I'm not a guitarist or a drummer or, or whatever. So if you listen to my record, you could tell it's 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 sloppy, but it, I don't know. I, I had more fun than anything, but, you know, that was just because it was, it was something I wanted to do, so I made a solo record. But it wasn't, at that point, it wasn't like I thought I was going to, anything was going to happen with it because... I was aware of the reality. What I did behind the scenes, first I produced a radio show for uh, uh, Johnny Rotten called Rotten Day. Okay. It, it was on like less than 100 stations across the country, but it was uh, like a three-minute uh, comedy wrap-up of Today in Rock, hosted by Mr. Lydon. Okay. And uh, it was actually a really funny show. I didn't write it, so I, I can I can say that without being guy named George Gamark was the writer who had been a radio guy in Texas and wrote a, a book called Punk Diary All right. and had a great sense of humor. So it was really, it was a very funny show and I produced that for like a year or two and the company I was producing it for, they also published magazines that were called trade magazines in the music business. There used to be like five of them, then there were three of them, like Cashbox. You've heard of Billboard, obviously, but there was Cashbox, there was r r there was Hits magazine, there was Album Network. We, you know, I well, it's funny. One of them, and it's because I, I post always who my guests are going to be, and a guy named John Cooperman, I know, who's a comic. Work with Johnny. He worked with you on one of them. He goes, I work with him because John, I, I host this comedy night, and John comes down and does it every once in a while. And John, his whole act is how he stutters, you know, and because he goes, I'm the stuttering comic. And he's like, oh, I know him. So it's funny because I don't know what, it was one of the magazines he worked mm -hmm. with you on. I don't know which one it was because he wrote it down and as I said, I, I remember who played that concert, but I can't remember what he wrote yesterday. Yeah, I kind of fell into editing uh, after the, the radio show was breaking up. And uh, and these were magazines that depended on record company advertising to to sell, you know, to make money. They, they, they didn't have, like, ads for Coca-Cola or cars or anything. They just had car, or ads for new records that were coming out. And uh, as the record, com record industry kind of shrank, that whole business kind of shrank. And also... The radio industry kind of shrank because there was only a few owners as opposed to there used to be, you know, you weren't allowed to own more than so many radio stations, like five or six radio stations. Now you can own hundreds. Right. So now you guys got back together when Bands Reunited came. Is that what happened? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, how did how did they do about that? I mean, I, I, I watched the show. Mm -hmm. And I guess they sit there and, and do they, I guess they just scout the country looking for people or do they have to, do they, do you know what's going to happen? But did you know you guys were going to get together before it started? No, I knew I was going to get a phone call okay. that day uh, from a friend of mine, Richard Blade, who was on K-Rock and still on satellite radio. Uh, he does Jack, uh, in the afternoon he does Jack FM. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, flash, he's the king of flashback, you know, uh, alternative, new wave, whatever you want to call it. He's a really great guy. And uh, he called me, and he was. He says, "I'm I'm working with a show on VH1. And it was like those behind. It was after Behind the Music, right? And they want they want to do a profile on Drama Rama, you know, as, you know, bands from the '80s you never heard of, or band, you know, 
greatest bands you never heard of, whatever it was going to be, I don't know. But he said, well, the phone call's going to come at this time on this day. And I'm sitting in my garage with no shirt on and, and some stupid hat. I don't know what I was doing, but I wasn't... You look good in a cowboy hat. See, <laughs> I, I wear hats, but I can't wear cowboy hats because I, I, I don't know the look. You got the look. I, you know, that's... And, uh, thank you. I don't think I was... I, don't, I, I probably wasn't on the cowboy thing yet. Or maybe I was. That was a weird year because I lost the job at the record com- at, the, at, at the at the magazine. It had shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and became part of a, a, a big corporation and, and uh, went out of business. Actually, right here in Burbank. Um, uh, my best friend who owned a record company and had put out my solo record, he passed away. And my mom passed away all in, within the space of like three months. And then like three weeks later, VH1 says, I'm going to call you on the phone. And I'm sitting there and I hear this noise and I hear someone say, John. And I go, and I, yeah, hold on just a second. I come walking out and I have no shirt on. And there's like 12 guys there <laughs> with cameras and VH1, we got to get, get the band back together. So they don't, they don't tell you, they just show up. No. Wow. I was like, dude, this is totally uncool. And I made him stop the camera. I said, shut him off. And I said, you can't do this. I got to go put a shirt on. I'd rather show my ass on TV than, than show <laughs> my gut. Um, and I they made him do the whole thing over again. And, and I signed, you know, signed my clause. And I didn't, you know, make them erase, watch them erase the film. So they used it. You know, so I still was on TV with no shirt on. So they, <laughs> so they hit all the guys up. They, 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 my, my, my one guitar player was working in, uh, in construction. He was driving a, um, a, a tractor, you know, a, a digger. And they, they came running up to the job site and found him on the, found him on the digger. He was kind of embarrassed. Now, did you guys still, were you still talking to the guys in the band? Yeah, because when I would do an Easdale show, I would usually borrow, you know, use one of the guitar players. And the, uh, the bass player was, was still, you know, a really good friend of mine. Um, yeah, we were, we all, like I said, we all went to the same high school. We were all, all buddies. We had like 72 drummers. We, we were like Spinal Tap. But, okay. But aside from that, the, the four of us were pretty good. But Chris kind of went and did his own thing. You know, he, 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 he produced a movie. He, he became a, a pretty well-known um, radio DJ. And uh, so we got back together for that one night and we brought back the, the drum one of the drummers that was on the first album because there's like four drummers on that including me and uh we did this show for vh1 and we they, they, they individually showed up at all of us um actually they hit the drummer up they flew him in and said hey would you be willing to come in for you know to do some taping for we're, we're gonna you know profile drummer and while he was like in the in the limo on the way they said well, we lied to you. It's not really about the the past. It's about tomorrow. You're gonna do a show on Monday night. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, they came. They came to everybody at their places of business, except for me because I didn't have a job. So they caught me in the garage. So then you sit there and you play that, and then people, you know, dug it, I guess. So then, did you sit there and say, "I want to get the band back together"? Because I know, I mean, how did that start? Uh, the, at the same day, the radio station called us and said they wanted to do. Uh, us to play a concert they were giving out in the Inland Empire. Um, it was going to be a big show with the, you know all the superstars of the olden days: The Cure, Duran Duran, uh, Terry Nunn from Berlin, uh, Dave Wakeling from the, the General Public and English Beat, um, 
you know, people who I've come to know and, 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 and respect and, and, and become friends with in some cases. But I mean, like every band, you know, Flock of Seagulls, whoever, um, were all there that day. And they asked us if we want to do it and they didn't have any money to pay us. But we were all in the, the, the glow of, uh, let's do the show. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we'll do it for free. Sure. Okay, sure. And then um, when it came time, uh, people said, you guys are someone came around and started saying it would be stupid to do it for free those guys have money you should get paid and long story short i i ended up using more like my solo group than not really i i used my bass player and my drummer instead of using chris and and, and uh you know I, I as as it came down to it it was it was about uh, i had come to love what my band and, and right. playing with my band and what I was doing as a solo musician and uh, I would go to New Jersey and, and I'd, I'd play with Peter who, who, who lived back in New Jersey. Now where would you play in Jersey? Like the Stone Pony and stuff like that? Yeah, or, yeah. Okay. Different places down the shore. Um, yeah, that was our only only place we played in New York City or something. Uh, yeah, we never, we never really made it over in Philly. We played City Gardens one time. I don't think we played too many times in Philly but it was way more uh, the Jersey Shore, Asbury Park, uh, Ortley Beach, different okay. uh, Seabright, you know, a couple couple places down there. But um, I don't know. It, it had changed. And when we got back together after 10, 15 years, Chris and I had, had formerly led the band together, I would say. Even though I wrote all the music and, and stuff and wrote all the songs, Chris was my partner. And, and like I said, I persuaded him to go get a bass guitar because he was such a smart guy and he, and he, and he owns the record store and he had such a great knack for, for selling and, and for promoting. And he was our, our, our manager more or less, you know, um, before we had a manager. And when, when we got back together, I didn't want to share the, the, well, the, 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 whatever, you know, I just wanted to do what I want to do and I didn't want to, <laughs> I don't know, I guess I was a little selfish. Well, now, so you got back together. Now you, you guys play a lot now or, as much as possible, we made a record. We made an album that came out uh, in 2005. Um, since then, we've been trying to get another record out, and uh, you know, pickings are slim. There's that whole new thing about uh, begging for money on the the crowdfunding. Oh yeah, it's uh, they did they do that? It's so funny. I see it with like known comics and actors who sit there do the Kickstarter and they're like and these people you know they're making four million a movie and you're like really I mean and you guys can't get it produced you you have a name it's just it's crazy when that you know you see you know like Zach Braff you know the guy was in Scrubs and all that it's like well wait a second you know you you were very talented I'm sure you could go to a studio and say hey pay me this and I'll do a movie it's just it's weird but he wants control and that and right. that, that is you know, show business is, is, is a weird business, man. So now you were working... I talked to you a while ago when I first started hitting you up, and you said you were working on a solo project? You were going to work on a solo project? Mm, you know what? It, it, it's become one and the same in, in the last 20 years, you know, since the band first broke up in 93. The first album was, was, was something I wanted to do and, and where I played a lot of the instruments myself, like I said, and... and like I'm not the best musician, so it's a, it's a little it's a little rough around the edges. But then this last drama album that came out that was going to be a solo album too, and it had all the drama rama guys on it, so I called it drama rama. Since then, we've been trying to you know get this record off the ground and a new record, and uh, talking to people and seeing and everybody wants to talk about the old stuff. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's so weird because well, it's so funny because now like a whole new generation gets introduced to their songs because the '80s stuff is coming back. It is it's nostalgia. Like, it's and it's I love it because I I've always loved the '80s stuff, but it's like my my girlfriend's niece goes to Monmouth mm-hmm. and they have a movie. They have a class. The movies of John Hughes. Well, I was in college watching John Hughes. They That's weren't teaching hilarious. us classes. Well, you, and yeah, the, the things you know. The things that are considered to be classic from those times, it's not all, you know, it's like classic rock radio, you know, it's like, Jimi Hendrix has more songs than All Along the Watchtower and Foxy Lady, okay, come on, (laughs) I don't know, same with Bob Dylan, you know, he's got a body of work, but he's known for, you have a few concerts coming up, you're playing at the Sabin, we're playing this week, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the S- S- Saban. Saban. I didn't know how to pronounce I it. I was like, I was like, I have no idea. I don't know if it's the Saban Theater. It's a, it's, a, it's a gentleman's name, from what I understand. It used to be the Wilshire Theater. It's on. Uh, it's in Beverly Hills, and that's okay. on Thursday night with the Fix. Now, how did that come? Did you know the guys? They the called fix? us up. Okay, and we had played the Jack FM show right. with them, and I'd seen them play, and I, ne- you know, not not to be rude about, I didn't. I had only heard their songs on the radio. I never, I never owned their records. Uh, we were all doing our own thing at that by, right. that by that time. But I got to see them a couple of years ago play with Psychedelic Furs, and I was really impressed. They were really good, and uh, they were a real band that played their instruments. You know, um, some bands that you play with on the circuits of the nostalgia, it's not all live. It's uh, enhanced. So I enjoyed them, and, and we were happy to. Play with them. Do you still get excited when you play these concerts? I mean, I mean, is it because you've been doing it for a long time? And it's like for me, I do comedy every once in a while. I, 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 you know, I don't, I do it for fun now. But it's not like when I was younger, you get that excitement. But now, is it, is it like, do you sit there or do you go, wow? I mean, because you're playing it, it's, it's a cool venue, and people are coming specifically to see. That's the one thing. They're probably, it's probably a crowd that is like it's your peers. You know, they're coming to see. I mean, sure, there's younger people, but. The people who are like are my age, we enjoy. I think we enjoy music much more because we have a longer uh, attention span, and we can watch a band and go, "This is a great show." Do you dig? Do you still like dig what, that, that the energy? I, you know, thrive on it, and that's why you know, I drank the Kool Aid when with Cyclamates, whatever, back in the '60s, and and I, you know, I, I was enchanted at that point, and so yeah, I. I, I don't just go through motions. I, 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 well, I saw you. I mean, even when we were just singing, you know, when I was just singing, it's not. And when I saw you at the Anaheim thing, it was the outside. Mm-hmm. It was hot. Mm-hmm. It was hot. And you got that cowboy hat on. I go, it's, it's, because me yeah. and my friend were hanging out. It was hot out there. It was, and it was a sunny, hot day. And you guys were kicking ass. I mean, yeah, no, I give 100% every time when, when I'm up there. And, and it's something that, like I said, I didn't used to think about my responsibility as an entertainer if you will which which sounds kind of corny and you know it's not cool but you really do when you get up there you gotta you gotta give people what they want as uh, as they say and and do what you know what they came to see you do you know and um when i when i when i came to that realization it was kind of like a, you know hit your head itself in the head moment that oh man i really i ripped off all these people (laughs) we have a few minutes left uh how did you come up with the name drama rama where did that come from uh theater and uh actors and actresses and it was 1982 so we were young and (laughs) and what by the time we put it on a couple of records we were stuck with it and now are you are you happy with the name or when you think back you go man we could have been called something else or what do you what's your feeling i I don't know i could have called it my you have different thoughts and, and, and feelings when you're young. And, and if I'd known a lot of stuff that I learned over the years, I wish, you know, I would have done things differently. At one point, 
we were going to call our, our album of ours. It's too late to change our name. Right. But, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's, it's the record. It's, it's what we stuck on the first one and, and, and that we stick with now. And, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword because you, like, you write new music, you have new songs, but people are coming to the concert to see your old songs. And, and you'll see, I mean, I've been to Bruce Springsteen at a stadium where he's like, you know, he's about to play a new one, and you see the the you know the parting of the Red Seas. Everyone's running to for the exits. Right. You know? <laughs> um, it's a shame, but it's just like you know, it's not born to run. They, they you know they didn't come. They came to see. And and when when you're a band like us, and in in, in the case, some people might have come to hear only one song or two songs, which is you know we're blessed to have that because, you know, there's so many songs and so many bands and so many things. So the idea of having a song that people know is pretty pretty freaking special well I love that song I mean that's that's like every, anyone you know I mean I think everybody loves that song I've never heard anyone say that's not a good song and that <laughs> must be great for you because I mean and but you must what is he what do you when you hear it on the radio do you just say oh that again or you change the station or do you ever listen to it and go god that was a really good song no I every time I hear it on the radio it's that thing you do it's that scene and th- thing you do where it's like wow I'm on the radio and I grew up at a time when being on the radio really was the coolest thing in the oh, world. Oh yeah, it was you know, great. Being in a rock band was, you know, now I think it's it's better to be a lot of, you know, I don't think kids grow up worshiping rock musicians the way we did when in the 70s and 80s. Rock and roll is, and even all music is kind of, it's still there, but it's not. It doesn't have the importance in in in. in it's in, changed in, it, in the in the deck of cards that a kid holds because you can watch everything on your phone or on your device, and you can watch anything anytime you want anything right not, not just like records was all you could really curate you could I, you know you bring the box of records over to your friend's house and you'd say listen to this, oh yeah listen yeah to that, great listen to this you couldn't do that with with movies even you didn't have vhs tapes you didn't have dvds you know now it's, it's just, yeah it's everything it's it, crazy it, my, my kids are, are growing up with just yeah anything so music doesn't have the same impact that it did but that's okay you know I, just i don't know you're a footnote on a footnote on a footnote, but you're still doing it. I want to thank you for coming on. It was uh, it was great to talk to you. I hope you had a fun time. I just I'm, I'm a big fan, and I was I was just I always say it's very surreal when you know I, I hear that song and I always see it in concert. And then a few weeks later, or like a few months later, you're in the studio. So I want to thank you for taking the time. The and, pleasure is mine. My and, friend says it's like Louis Louis. Like nobody knows who the Kingsmen are. No one yeah. knows who Richard Berry is, but everybody <laughs> knows that song. Right. What uh, now? Give the dates again, real quick. Twenty fourth at the Saban Theater in Beverly Hills. Twenty fifth at the Orange County House of Blues in downtown Disney with the fix, both shows. And then Saturday morning, I'll be accompanying my daughter, Heather, at the Autism Speaks walk. She has autism, and she's going to sing the Rainbow Connection with me. Great. Well, awesome. Well, I thank you. Can, do you have a website, or do you, you, don't, you don't tweet? Do you tweet? I tweet uh, com and uh, everything that we are is the Dramarama, except I have my own Facebook, but we also have a Dramarama Facebook page, too. But oh, cool. we don't have a you used to have a website, but That's, I think it's it's gone. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. People, follow me uh, at Cooper Talk on Twitter. Also, send me an email, Cooper at Indy100, I-N-D-I-E100.com. You can also find me on, uh, if you have an Android device, go to the Google Play Store. There's a Cooper Talk app. It's free. Also, that's about it. Uh, every Tuesday night at uh, Jimmy's Place on uh, San Fernando Road in Burbank between Amherst and Grismer, I host crappy comedy. I have a bunch of my friends come down. We just have fun. So keep listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Remember, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'm out to lunch.